I need this. Not really. Hey guys, this is Bruce, and this is um, Combo Courses Podcast. I do this once a week. This one's going to be pretty short. I'm actually not in my normal location, so I don't know how this is going to go. But I'm going to go ahead and do this anyway. We're just going to see how this goes. I'm actually on vacation, so this is going to be very short. Um, I'm going to answer some questions. I Lately, lately I've been getting a lot of questions, like a lot like too many for me to actually answer um, on TikTok, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram. Like it's crazy. It's pretty crazy. Uh, so that's most of my content actually comes from just answering, um, answering questions from you guys. So I'm going to do the same thing I always do is just answer questions. And since I don't have anybody on right now, I'm going to go ahead and answer some questions from, from YouTube. And I apologize for the sounds not going to be, I'm not in my normal location, so <laughs> I haven't had a vacation in, in like a year, and finally I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, but let me see, uh, and that's maybe that's something we could talk about. But first, I'm going to answer a couple questions. I'm on YouTube right now, answer some of my comments. Somebody said CISSP is four hours now, so quite a bit less brutal than it was before. So when I first took it, it was six hours long total, and it was written. It was it was a written test. Well, it was literally you would have a pencil and uh, like a sheet and you would like now it's like electronic, like you you take it on like a on a, uh, on a computer. So that's that's definitely changed quite a bit from the last time I did it. So appreciate that comment. Let me see somebody else's comment here said. Um, uh, the degree doesn't okay. They're asked. They're answering about a video I did about a, a degree is good for IT. That's my. I did the short one minute video about having a degree because people ask me about whether they should get a degree or a certification or what kind of degree they should get. And my comment on there was, yeah, you know, a degree is is good. It's definitely good. You're a technician. You're you maybe you're going to become an engineer to deepen your your knowledge base and your competitiveness in this market that's what i was saying is like a degree is good to have do you absolutely have to have it no and this person added to that and they said a degree doesn't have to be in computers i was telling them it i would it should it should be in computers you should you should do it in computers they said i have a social uh sciences degree and i am a senior system admin in a fortune 500 company a fintech company and i don't uh, i do a lot of encryption pki vulnerability management patching auditing system gardening network security etc a good degree helps by good i mean to work your butt off and get a high passing grade um i should mention that i have an it and project management compliance certs but I got into IT just with my social sciences degree and I got my Microsoft cert certified certification. So, and let me just piggyback on what he's saying. Um, I, I've had coworkers who, who had a, one of my coworkers had an Egypt, uh, like an Egyptology degree. I don't know what it's called, but he was an expert on Egypt <laughs> and he was a coworker of mine. But that said, he also had like a, a security plus 
uh, and he was like, uh, he had been doing the work with the policy work we've been doing for many years. So that experience was enough to get him in the door, right? Even though he didn't have a STEM degree, he didn't have a science, technology, engineering, mathematics, or a computer degree, but his, his, I think yeah, like either a PhD or a master's degree in, in Egyptology or something crazy. Um, that said, it balanced out because he, this dude had so much experience doing policies, cybersecurity uh, uh, policy stuff as an information security officer for the government that he, that was able to get him in the in the in the door. What I was saying is that if you are a student, if you're starting out and you're wondering, like, I, you want to break into IT, you, you really want to get in this market, the most competitive degree you can have is uh, is a computer type degree. It's just going to make you more competitive. To it's going to make you more attractive to employers. That's what I, that's what I'm saying. Can you do it with a STEM degree, with a mathematics or engineering? Yes, you can. I have plenty of my coworkers have had that with experience. I've met people like he's this dude's like social sciences, like a psychology degree or something like that. You I, you could totally. I'm sure you could do that because I've had coworkers have the, just that. So you could do it. I'm just saying if the most competitive thing you can have would be a computer degree and then some type of science type engineering technical degree and then below that anything else with a bunch of experience. So I stand by that. I mean, that's just what I've seen uh, people have that they got. I mean, I've met people with no degree come in here and kill it. So you can do it without a degree, but you're going to have to anything you don't have. You, they had to make it up in in skills and and uh, and experience. So if you have skills and experience, can get you almost in any door. So that's always going to be on the top. All right, let me see what else we got here. Um, somebody said, "Awesome, you deserve it." Thank you. <laughs> I haven't had a, a vacation in a while, so um, and I know I'm always telling like, "Oh man, if you if you." work remotely, you'd be able to travel, take your laptop. Well, the current job I have right now, I'm not able to, and I guess that's the topic we could talk about. I'm not able to take my laptop and travel with it. It's a government laptop. There's no way I can take it. So it's a remote job. Not all remote jobs are the same. So right now I have a remote job. It's remote, but I have to stay. That work has to stay in uh in the united states so i literally cannot do any of that work overseas like any outside of the conus continental united states i can't do it so i've had jobs where it was 100 percent remote i could work from anywhere but i had to come back to the u.s and travel every now and then but I, I could work from overseas it was no problem i've had jobs where i could work from overseas but i just had to let them know hey i'm going to be over here working from as long as the time zones were good they didn't care but the majority of them, they had restrictions. And the restriction on this one is that um, you have to stay in CONUS with their work. That said, I didn't have a vacation for a while. So I was like, hey, I, you know, and they let me go out for a while. So, so that's what's happening right now. Uh, let me see. I'm taking the 601. And next year, I, um, I'm, I'll be taking the 701. Um, do you have what changes they've made to the test? Are you talk? are you referring to the, the security plus sounds like the security plus is, um, I've been out of security plus for quite some time. I used to teach it back when it was a one-on-one 
and 102 that date me quite a bit. Um, I took both of those tests and, and I taught it for some time, but I'm not sure like what you could easily just go to the CompTIA site. If that's what you're talking about, I think you're talking about CompTIA. Let me see. CompTIA is on 601, I think. Yeah, 601, and then the next one, 701. They update it like every couple of years. Yeah, go to the website, and, and it'll have the best breakdown of, of the differences between those. And another place I would go, Jennifer, is on YouTube. has such great resources because it's actual people telling you, hey, I took this cert. I took this cert. Here's the differences. Here's how I felt about it. It kind of gives you an anecdotal from a person's perspective. One of the best places I go to is YouTube for that kind of information. Because somebody took that test and somebody's going to talk about it and how they felt about it and where it's at and stuff like that. So that's all we do. All right. Let me see here. I got some folks on TikTok. And if you're joining me late, just so you guys know, you know, it's a different environment, different sound and everything. Um, I'm on vacation. Just going to do a quick kind of uh, live here and answer some questions like normal. We do every week, kind of scrolling through TikTok. Let's see what we have here. Um, degrees. Degrees help the young job seeker. I would argue that it helps uh, if you're trying to level up at any point. Like myself, I know that the best way for me to get a management position would probably be to have a, ma a, a manage, uh, master's degree would help me a lot. Like I could probably do it now with my experience level, but a, a master's degree is required at some organizations. So I I would argue whenever you're trying to level up, it's just a, a really good thing to have on your resume. Do you absolutely have to have it? No. But does it help you? Yes, it does. Um, I'm having a tough time with the binary. Are you talking about the binary uh, math stuff that you do like in networking? Yeah, that that's is really tough for me too if that's what you're talking about binary math is uh pretty crazy that said like one question i get often is do you have to have do you have to know mathematics to do it or cybersecurity and the answer to that is no you don't because cybersecurity and it are very very broad fields and not everything is super technical and and most things do not go into math at all Logic, yes, if you're doing scripting and programming and stuff, if that's in, if that's a part of your job, then yeah, you'll have to know a little bit of that. But that depends on the requirements of that position. But math, very rarely. I mean, there's only specific um, jobs that actually really require it. And the only one off the top of my head, the only ones would be like really hardcore network engineers. They have to do a little bit of like um, uh, subnet masking, which is a tiny bit of math. And then... Um, the other one would probably be cryptographers, crypto analysts and cryptographers, where they're doing map proofs and stuff like that. And even them, they probably that's probably only the scientists that are actually breaking down like people like Bruce Schneier. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but that's the dude who created two fish. That guy's a mathematician. Those types of dudes do like heavy math. But other than that, like the regular dudes who are just laying pavement are not doing math proofs, you know what I mean? So we're just doing, we're just putting up drywall, we're putting up the framing, you know, and they're paying the six figures to do that. So, you know, we're not the dudes that are inventing new shit. Uh, let me see. Um, 
Facts on Conus. Yeah. <laughs> harsh reality. Harsh reality. Um, what's the path into uh, GRC from cybersecurity? Um, this is a good question. Um, good question. So you're in cybersecurity and you want to get into GRC. So first of all, let me map out cyber, uh, the landscape of GRC because a lot of people don't really know what it is. GRC stands for Governance, Risk and Compliance. So that is how does the organization manage the risk and the compliance with certain regulations depending on your on your uh, sector. And what I mean by that is if you're in the financial sector, there's certain rules and regulations your organization has to meet. If you're in the retail sector, there's certain things that your organization has to meet. If you're in the government and so on and so forth, each one of these healthcare, all of them have their own regulations and laws and acts and things that they have to meet. And um, GRC is it, it's a path that is making sure that the organization is in a line with those regulations, right? And there's certain standards and documents that will help us out. Like in the government, you have um, NIST 800 that guides you through how to actually comply with the federal government's uh, protection of federal information and federal information systems. So that is GRC in a nutshell. How do we comply? It's not always hacking or software engineering or any of that. Like it's, it's, it's a much broader um, look and perspective of the organization and how we comply with the larger government entity or with the larger body of entities that are controlling credit cards or whatever it is, right? That is GRC in a nutshell. Now, that said, if you are in cybersecurity, hell, I would say even in IT, there is a path to GRC. And I'll name a couple that should open up the door to you to, to like turn that light bulb on for you. One of them is the security policy. The security policy is one of the most important pieces of GRC. So if you've ever touched a security policy, if you've ever helped to modify it, if you've ever helped, you've ever read a security policy, um, you'll have an idea of like what it is. And it might even be something you could put on your resume. It depends on how you word it. You know, I'm not telling you to lie on your resume or anything like that. I'm saying this is one way to do it. We want to put this kind of stuff on our resume. GRC stuff consists of security policies. If you've ever written one, that's probably the, that's really good stuff. If you've ever written a, a, a procedure, which most of you guys, if you've been in IT, you've done it before. If you've ever written a procedure, that's GRC type work. If you've ever done continuous monitoring, if you've ever done continue, um, disaster recovery, if you've ever looked at audit logs, all of those things are part of GRC. Now, your job is to figure out what part of GRC it's in. Now, if you're in the government sector, there's tons of stuff you already do all the time that's in line with BISMA, which is a federal um, federal regulation. But that right there, you put that like, he, I, you would say something to the effect of um, that you were part, that you, let me see if I can, what would you say on there to line up with the GRC type stuff you want to put in your resume? Kind of sauce in the, the ingredients and the spices you want to put in your resume to make it pop for GRC. One of them would be whenever you 
vulnerability management is a good one. So vulnerability management, if you um, applied patches on 2000 systems throughout an organization, you would want to put in there that you uh, spearheaded the vulnerability management team. That's like probably in the spearheaded, right? Maybe you were a part of vulnerability management team that um, secured 10,000 systems across the enterprise in align with NIST 800, uh, NIST 853 controls, because that's what you're doing. You're applying security controls from the NIST 800 if you're in the federal government now. Um, and you need to put that in your resume because that's what you did. But see, a lot of IT guys who work in the federal government, they don't know that they did that. They don't. They're just doing stuff. So, <laughs> so you already are on the path. If you're in IT, you just got to know how to word it on your gut, on your on your resume. Now, the path like let's let me pull out a little bit. Like, I, I don't know where you are, King Sosa, in your career. So I'm going to pull out. So kind of hit a like a, a deeper view here so let's say you're it dude you're you're on help desk so what you want to do is highlight all the cybersecurity stuff that you've done now if you're if you're already in cybersecurity you're doing cybersecurity and analyst work or your cybersecurity specialist of some type or whatever you have that role that is awesome that's great you still need to hit the notes that they want to hear uh on your resume for grc um security policies, writing procedures, making sure that's in aligned with whatever standard is out there. Now you're, the path forward is to know uh, which regulations you need to hit. I can tell you from a bird's eye view, retail, PCI compliance. Um, financial sector is gonna be, it can be PCI as well, but Sarbanes-Oxley is a big one for, for uh, financial institutions. Um, and some banks. And then for government, NIST 800, also a cyber, um, NIST cybersecurity framework is another one. Um, for healthcare, it's gonna be HIPAA. HIPAA, Hit Trust. Those will lead you in the right direction if you wanna put those on your resume as much as possible. All aspects of those things. The so first thing you need to do on your path to a GRC is learn what the what I did the hell that I just said. <laughs> like, if you're in retail and you're IT guy in retail or cybersecurity guy in retail, read up on PCI compliance, and and then put that in your resume of how you've been doing it. That's that's the path forward with GRC stuff right there. Um, Larry says um, best government agencies um, to have travel as a big part of work. The best government agencies have travel as a big part of work. I work primarily as an IT project manager doing Scrum. That's S, oh, sorry, not Scrum, uh, S-C-R-M. So that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, let me see. I got some more stuff here on TikTok. How much do you make in your current position, if you don't mind? I make 130 um, salary. I make 130, yeah, 1,000 a year, right? And my last job, I had a part-time job. I was making 80 an hour, which is, you know, that's, that's more. It's better. It's like $20 an hour more. <laughs> so um, than what I make now, it's like 65 an hour or something. And then uh, last job, my part-time job was 80. And then I had, before that, it was around 100 and 
it was around 100. They started me off at like 130, but I stayed there for like three years and it got up to like 140, 150. And then with, with all the benefits, it was more like 180 at my last job. This one with the benefits is probably like 150. I'm making a little bit less than what, than what I was making before. And the uh, reason why I don't mind telling people how much I make is because this, for me, a job's not, this is not my final, like th this is stair steps. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I have a side income already. <laughs> you know? So um, I feel like telling people how much I make is not like my salary is not a big deal. Um, and uh, so that, yeah, that's how much I, now keep in mind, obviously ISSP, I have a bachelor's degree in IT. I've been doing this for over 20 years. Um, I specialize in cybersecurity uh, and information system security officer work. I can make more or less depending on where I'm at. Like if I went to cybersecurity analyst work, which is like analyzing all the date, all of the cybersecurity incidents that are coming through, security incidents that are coming through and stuff, I would make significantly less. I just don't have that skill set. I mean, I have some, but it's it's pretty, it's not. It's in it's in my tool bag that's in my closet that has cobwebs on it. It's been a while since I did that work, you know, so I have to polish up on that. But the stuff I'm doing now is so work information system security officer specifically for the government, GRC for the government. If I wanted to, I could easily make 200 easily. I just like working from home. I like where I'm at. I'm not trying to move. Um, I'm not trying to go overseas. I'm not trying like I'm not trying to be like an upper level manager. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that I'll have to do in order to get to that 200 plus. It, it comes with a cost, you know, when you get to the 180, whenever you hear people talking about 180, 200, they're, they're usually talking about senior roles, you know, upper level manager type roles. Um, and those tend to be a little bit more stressful. There is a fintech side and a, a real exciting thing. If you work for Netflix and Google and all, those guys pay a lot more, but a lot of times they'll pay you 200. But when they're saying 250 or two, 300 or whatever, that's usually talking about with all the other benefits like the um, shares and all that kind of stuff. And that stuff, like if it, look at it right now, it's pretty volatile, right? They're, they're laying off people left and right because the market's not doing well. So their, their success and their money depends on the market. Mine depends on what the needs of the government are. And the government always needs people to do this work. So I take, I have 130 solid income. If the, if I, we lost our contract, I could go and get another 140, 130 job easily. I, I'm mainly doing this for my kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm mainly doing this because I need a stable job that has a medical. The medical is really really got what's got me because i need that for my kid my kids have a lot of medical issues so i can't survive with in the u.s on med the medicals killing me man I, I tried you know what i mean i have a business i got money and stuff but the medicals it murdered me man it murdered me so i had to get that 130 with the medical benefits unfortunately i mean until i could figure something else out that's where i'm at um two weeks into being an iso so far it's it's good so far. I've been IT for about 10 years. Christopher, uh, so a couple things, man, is don't stress yourself out. What you'll notice in IT and cybersecurity in general and in ISO work is a lot of people freak out. 
And uh, when I first started, that's where my mind was because I would take on all the responsibilities of the organization and, and that's not really your job. This took me a long time to figure out, you know, maybe you're, you're smarter, you, you figured it out already, but the responsibility of security is everyone's job. You're kind of more like a reporter than an enforcer. And the minute I understood that, the more the that's when my I just was able to just calm down. You're a reporter. Like whenever something comes through the pipe, if it's a security incident, it's this vulnerability patches. If it's your your job is to report as accurate as possible and communicate that information so you can figure out what's the security posture of the organization. And it's not just your job to do that. It's every cybersecurity is everyone's job. And you're a reporter telling, hey, here's where we're at with the vulnerabilities. Here we're at, here's where we're at with the with the risk assessment. Here's where we're at with this. And and you're doing a lot of documents, you're doing a lot of coordination, you're doing a lot of you're not the one usually doing the hands-on stuff. You know, I have had ISO jobs where I was the cybersecurity dude do, do doing some of the cyber, the uh hands-on stuff with just sitting down with my system admin. But the system admin was leading the charge on the direct technical stuff. So don't stress yourself out, your reporter. Don't try to take on that stuff on your shoulders. The cyber, the risk needs to be distributed. It's not on just you, on you. Um, let me see. Larry says, master's degree. He's got two master's degrees, a security, a security clearance, and been in government almost five years uh, trying to level up. Appreciate your content, insight, and you doing uh, these live streams. Super helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. I appreciate you, man. Um, and then somebody asked Larry a question about Larry is governance and risk. Is governance and, and supply chain risk management in a subsection of GRC related to it, or is that a whole other thing? I'll let Larry speak on that one. <laughs> I think he's better qualified to answer that question. Um, Kirko says, I'm not into, I'm not in cybersecurity, but I get, I'm getting a look in, uh, I'm getting a look for a cybersec internship. Should I give it a shot? Yeah, Kirko, like, what do you have to lose, man? Just try it out. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you won't like it. Maybe it won't be. Heck, if you can get in there and you like it, it I could tell you this, man. So there's pluses and minuses. The the minuses of cybersecurity is that it can be very stressful. Like that's that's something the gurus don't really talk about. You know, some of these smart dudes that you see on there, um, they're like high level cybersecurity engineers. They're like software dudes that also do cybersecurity. It's some really clever dudes on YouTube and um, who every from time to time I stumble across their videos. What they don't talk about, the cybersecurity dudes don't talk about is that there is a stress level to it um, because you're dealing with people's livelihood. A lot of times the security can directly impact the bottom line of an organization. It can directly impact the re, the effectiveness of the mission or the business essential functions of an organization <laughs> so people get upset when you're messing with their money and cybersecurity does that but it's a necessary evil because if you don't protect your stuff all manner of leaks are going to happen and you're going to lose even more money so when it comes to cybersecurity people get in their feelings 
And you have to have this level of emotional intelligence that allows you to remain calm, see things clearly, um, 2020 vision, and like looking at the big picture and, and not getting too much in your feelings. So that's the negative part is that there's an emotional component that can be stressful in a lot of cybersecurity jobs. Um, other other negative things, um, a lot of times, this is another thing I don't talk about, man. So a lot of times we, I get in these positions and this is the past seven years it's been like this. Every position I get in, they're not manned enough. We don't have enough people with the skill set to do this work. And a lot of times I find myself wearing two or three hats or on an or on a system that has a hundred thousand systems on it, and I'm one dude working by myself, or there's two dudes working, and then there's not enough people to do all the work, and there's a floodgate of vulnerabilities or whatever we got to manage. And I found myself in that position many, many times. There's not enough people to do this work. It can be very stressful with people freaking out about incidents that happen or they got hacked or whatever, and you got to be the you're in the room when that stuff happens. You know, so you're like a first responder. So you're seeing some real ugly stuff sometimes and you got to remain calm, just like a paramedic on the scene of a of a bad accident. If they freak out and panic while blood spurting out of the dude's arm, you know what I mean? <laughs> like what's it going to do the person who has to have a tourniquet on them? If you're freaking out and you're supposed to be a first responder, you got to remain calm. So those are the negative things about it. But the positive things is that it's job security like crazy once you get the skill set and you get in there man it's it's so much job security like even if this we lose this contract i can go to another job without a problem at all and they try to retain good good people hard-working people with the skills they're gonna do what they can to keep you you know they'll take you to the side like man are you sure you want to do this man, God, man we could is there is there anything we can do to keep you? They'll take you to the side and like talk to you. You know, like they want to keep people because it's hard to find people. So job security is one. Um, another great thing. It pays pretty good. I can, if you compare it to other parts of IT, other jobs out there, it pays pretty good. Um, so those are probably the main things about cybersecurity that I like and some of the pros and cons for you to make your consideration. But as far as your internship, I'd say go for it, man. Try it out. Um, let me see. Somebody said, do you have insight? Let me put this on the screen here. Do you have insight on remote ISM or ISO job opportunities? Yes, Honda Civic, I do. So I've been working. First of all, um, <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. I've been working remotely in ISO type positions since 2014. For the government, for private sector, I've been doing GRC type work. Uh, most, not really manager, I, I really try to avoid management positions. It's just, for me, it's a little bit much. I wanna do security stuff. I do not wanna be managing people. That's just me personally. So I, I'm not taking an ISO type position. I run meetings and stuff. That's the closest I get to a manager type position is I'll run meetings. I'll jump in. I'll talk to CFOs, CSOs. I'll talk to CIOs. But as far as managing people and like putting their, putting a score on whether or not we should employ this person and stuff, I don't normally do that stuff. But ISO, GRC type work, that's what I've been doing since 2014 and um, remotely, by the way. So that's my qualifications for this. Do I have an insight into it? Yeah, I could tell you a thing or two about it. Um, they are competitive to get 
they do exist. ISO jobs and ISM jobs do exist remotely. Been doing it back to back for seven years, but they are competitive. And what I mean by that is when you go to Indeed, that's where you go to find them. Indeed.com, monster.com, dice.com, career be there everywhere. Um, you can search and filter by just remote jobs, by the way. I wrote a book about it. It's like a it's like a 20-page book, man. And I tell you how I've been able to do it. Um and um, it just walks you right through it. It's like a $4 book. You can get it on Amazon. Link in description, link in bio. Just go follow combocourses.net. You'll find the book somewhere on one of my sites. Or you can just go to Amazon and then type in Bruce Brown, remote work or cyber space security. You'll find my books there. There's a whole bunch of them. So anyway, um, I sell it on my site too. So I do have some stuff to say about it. Number one, they're hard to get. Um, they're competitive, I should say, not hard, but they're competitive. That means you got to keep trying and trying and trying. You can't just give up after getting rejected a couple times, going to two interviews and then they didn't want you. And then you're like, oh, boohoo. I, I guess that's it. I guess I wasn't meant to do this. No, no, no. It's a numbers game. You got to keep applying and applying. My my ass with 20 years of experience is hard for me to get one. I mean, not hard. It's challenging for me to get one. I got to keep on applying and applying and take doing the interview the interview because they're very competitive. There's just you'll see applicants. A hundred applicants have applied for that job. So that's the number one thing is just, you got to keep complying. There's a strategy to it. Check out my book if you want to know more about that strategy. Um, another thing is uh, not all remote jobs are the same case in point right now i'm on vacation that's why my if you come to my lives normally i have a whole different setup i'm i'm literally in a, a condo right now overseas um i can't work here so i had to take time off to come i love to travel i had to take time off to travel normally one of my old jobs that was also remote i was able to take my work with me and work and stay longer all over the world you know, well, a certain place you can't go, you know, so there's restrictions on where you can, can't go, whatever. But yeah, so that's another thing is that every, every time you get a remote work, it's not all, not all work, re remote work is equal. You got 100% remote, you got flex remote work, you've got um, remote work where they allow you to work in the office two days, three days a week, and then you can work home. You've got remote work, they say, Okay, you can work remote, but you cannot go outside of the United States. That's the job I have right now. The other one was 100%. I could go anywhere I wanted. Um, so it's not always the same. Um, what else could I tell you about it that's important to know? Not all jobs lend themselves, not all positions lend themselves to working remotely. Like classified jobs are not normally going to be remote. I know that they exist, but they're typically, if it's a very sensitive information job, they're not, they don't, there's not, they don't have a lot of those out there. They do exist, but um, certain jobs where you need more face-to-face -face time um, don't really lend themselves to remote work. So they exist. You just got to go out there and, and, and get them. So I hope, I hope that helps. Um, let me see here. Best way to prep for CISSP with RMF experience. Um, so this was me a few years back before I got the, oh man, my neck. <sighs> Military effed me up, man. <laughs> so in 
So uh, anyway, so CISP. So that was me years ago before I got the CISSP. I was a risk management framework guy. Most of my experience was in risk management framework. I did have some networking background. I had a little bit at the time. I had networking background. I had done help desk. I'd done a little bit of server stuff. Not a lot. I just I was technical, but like not super technical. Like some of my boys, some of my people are very very technical. All they do. But most of my experience was from risk management framework. What I noticed was that this, there were a couple domains that were very challenging to me. And so I actually spent more time on those things. Lean into the stuff that's the hardest. Like David Goggins, I don't know if you ever heard of him. Um, mentor of mine, um, very hardcore, ex-Navy SEAL, ex-TACP, ex-Green um, Beret, ex- I think he tried every special forces unit. <laughs> That guy's a maniac. But anyway, one of the things he said he does that I it really inspires me is that if there's something he doesn't like or something he's afraid of, he leans really hard into it. Like he's the reason why he's an ultra marathon runner is because he he hates running. The, how mind blowing is that? The man hates running, so he he started doing ultra marathon. Ultra marathons is like hundred mile runs. And um, that's what you have to do for the test. Like what I did was I leaned into the things I was weakest at, the stuff I hated the most, which for me was cryptography. I just I didn't know what it was. I didn't like it. It's a bunch of crap you got to memorize. I didn't I don't have any hands on on it. So it didn't feel like normal to me. I just I really heavily focused on that one. And I think there was at the time there was a more technical side of it that that went into like um securing networks that part i was kind of weak on and so i just leaned heavily into those and uh, i didn't ignore the risk management framework there's a piece in there about security compliance that stuff i ignore it but most of my work went into that stuff um when you prep for it make sure you pay very close attention to each domain and what percentage of the test each domain each domain has on the test that's going to be very important. For me, what I did was I took a book that was about the CISP. I, I um, took notes on each chapter. Like I took my own notes. Like if you're taking your own written notes, for me, first of all, I memorize stuff more if I write it down. I'm a tactile learner. So whatever style that you learn best on, use that. You might be an audio learner. You might be a visual learner, whatever you use. For me, tactile works the best. So I just took notes and forced me to only write down what was most important because otherwise I'm rewriting the whole book, which is not smart. You know, <laughs> so I, I took notes on the entire book, all the most important parts. Then I studied my notes. I memorized my notes. Like if you told if you started off with um, the top um, cryptogra uh, cryptographical modules, I, I could like I memorized which ones were the top at the time. It's all different now. But um, yeah, so that's kind of a couple tips for the CISSP um, that, that I that worked for me. I studied, I was very nervous about it. So I actually did the Security Plus first, then did the CISSP, which it helped a little bit, but it's a very different test. So it mainly helped me to be more confident that I could take it. And help me to focus on certain areas that there's some overlap between the two, but not very much. 
Um, oh man, what can I say about it? It's like somebody said it best. They said the CISSP is a mile wide and an inch deep, an inch, an inch deep, meaning it's just, it just covers so much ground as to be almost useless. <laughs> um, it's, it just covers so much information. Another thing, one of the most effective things I did was I found this database of questions at the time was called, I'm not telling you to do brain dumps or anything like that. You should really know the material. And brain dumps can be misleading and have a bunch of lies in it. So I'm not telling you to do that. But there's these banks of questions that you can you can get your hands on. Sometimes they're in the back of the books. And just, just go through those questions over and over again. Man, and that was the last thing I did was I just went through question after question after question after question after question. To, to the point where I would know the answer as soon as I started reading the first part of the question. I would just know the answer to it, you know, so that's get that familiar with the material. So hope that helps. There's a reason why I chose never to teach the CISSP. It's just it's just ridiculously. It's just too much information in it to cover. Um, let me see. YouTube got some questions on YouTube. Jesse says, do you know if. IT audit skills are transferable transferable to cyber. Um, Cybersecurity uh, includes IT audits. IT audits is a huge, huge piece of cybersecurity as a whole. To uh, let to just an example of this would be that PCI compliance risk management framework compliance, Sarbanes-Oxley, COVID, ISO 27001, all of those, one thing they have in common is they all have an audit feature, an assessment. They call it different names. Some of them call it an audit. Some of them call it assessment. But all of them have an assessment feature. And I'm assuming you're talking about where you're running scans and, and looking at the vulnerabilities. I'm assuming you're talking about making sure that the looking at the date the the network traffic and make sure that the data um, at rest is uh, being it has a certain level of encryption auditing whether or not the, the data in transit has certain encryption auditing the I don't know the phishing campaigns making sure that they that the organization is being trained on on avoiding phishing uh, clicking on phishing emails I'm assuming that's what you mean by IT audit you know maybe you're coming from another field where it means something different. But if you're talking about cybersecurity audits, security audits on the system and ensuring that security controls are in place, that is a huge part of cybersecurity. As a matter of fact, it has a whole, there's a whole career path for that. In the military, in the federal government, they call it SCA, Security Control Assessors. Um, they have different flavors of security control assessors. Or control assessors, um, yeah. Federal government calls it calls it security assessors. Um, that's a whole field in and of itself. And uh, I think in in PCI compliance, that's the credit card industry. They call them um, QSAs, um, or I don't know what QSA stands for. I'm sorry, <laughs> but they call them QSAs. A security audit, quality security, quality 
system audits. I don't, I don't know. Somebody knows, but it's a QSA in uh, the retail PCI compliance space. Um, they have different names for it, but yeah, to answer your question, you basically are a cybersecurity person if you're doing IT audits. Yeah, that's a huge part of what we do. Um, let me see here. Let me actually let me go to TikTok first. I've got a lot of stuff going on with TikTok. Let me go to the bottom. I know I'm missing some people here. Let me, well, actually, let me speed read through these. CyberSock versus Team uh, Blue Team Advisory or Red Team Advisory. I'm thinking first one for career. I'm thinking first one for career advice. He's thinking about doing cyber sock as the first start and asking me for secure uh, for advice on it. I think I mean I'm totally butchering your question, so I apologize. <laughs> so they said cyber security operations center versus blue team versus red team, and they're thinking about doing security operations center first um, and kind of just to explain what these are. So cyber security operations center are the people who are watching all the logs in an or uh, on a, on an organization systems. They're watching the logs and looking for interesting traffic. They're look, looking for people trying to break in or trying to do password breaks or uh trying to break passwords, brute force attacks on, on, on uh, accounts. They're looking for people doing things they shouldn't be doing on the network, but they're looking at all the logs throughout the organization. And then a blue team, I, mean, I hope I don't butcher this, but blue team is uh, the guys who defend uh, against attacks. They're, they're working with like, a firewall team. They're working with people who do IPS, IDS, they're looking for, and actually it can include uh, SOC, the SOC team, the Security Operations Center. And then the red team are people who uh, aggress on an organization. Like these are ethical hackers, you know? So these are the people who are actually infiltrating, infiltrating the organization to see if there's weak, finding weaknesses. So that's blue team, red team, and, and SOC. So SOC will probably be uh, the most well-rounded of those because a SOC might have to have a red team. They'll sometimes they'll break off cybersecurity analysts and say, okay, you guys are red team, you guys are blue team. And then they'll have like capsule flag exercises internally, or they'll have um, things where they have to get ready for uh, an IG inspection that's going to do pen testing, which is red team type stuff. So I'd say SOC, probably cyber SOC is the, is, is a better, more well-rounded, um, pick for you on that one. Whereas red team would just be kind of one thing and blue team would kind of be just one thing. And the sockets would almost be like a purple team. Like they're kind of, they'll have exercises where they're doing a little bit of both from time to time, at least in the socks that I, that I was a part of, we had different, we'd have to know both of those things a little bit to like, there would be some people who are very, very good at one thing or the other. And some people who focus on entirely just one thing, but as a sock person, you kind of had to know what an attack looks like from the outside in and how to defend against it when you're in the inside looking out. So let me see. Another one here would be I have 
I have a TSSEI Poly PMP and plan to get a Security Plus. What's my market value in the government? It depends on where you are. So a couple factors. Number one is going to be job title. Is going to be a very huge determining factor. And you can Google this right now. Go to Google and type in the the any kind of job description. And you'll see what I mean. ISO, I'll give you an example. If you type in, go to Google, type in ISO, I-S-S-O, um, and then put location is the other thing. Job description, location is going to be the biggest determining factor of how much money you make. It's a gigantic bonus that you have a TSSEI poly. Um, and if you happen to be on the East Coast, which it sounds like you are, because those are the only motherfuckers who want that poly, <laughs> you know, the only people who want it. So if you're on a DMV area, uh, you're, you're, it's going to pay way more um, than, than where, off the top of my head. I don't know where you're at, but it's going to be over six figures. It's going to be at least six figures, I should say. Um, with that security plus now it's going to also depend on your experience as well that's also a factor if you're coming in cold off the streets with no experience um, in project management you know you're going to start from the lower end of the spectrum rather than the middle you know you have less to work with if you have less experience that security plus will help you though because um, security plus is very marketable especially if you're trying to do kind of creep your way into cybersecurity. so Good, good path. Good path. Um, let me see. Got some other questions here. I'm not going to do this too much longer, guys. It's, it's 1 a.m. here. It's like, what time is it? It's like, it's like 3 a.m. Oh, shit. It's like 3 a.m. I got to get some sleep soon, guys. Uh, let me see. I'll take a couple more questions. Do you specifically work with PMs in your field? Anything they bring to the table? Um, anything they bring to the table at your level? Uh, excuse me. You can provide. Can you provide insight? Yeah. So mostly um, right now, just to kind of give you an idea. I'm working for a government organization and I've, I'm on a contract that works with a government organization and we work directly with program managers and project managers. There's a difference between the two. Sometimes organizations use them interchangeably, but program manager essentially is the people who kind of the puppet strings. They're the guys who are sitting in the meetings for how much funding we're going to get. Do we get the contract and blah, blah, blah. Like they're usually looking at more than one project. Project managers are very focused on like laser beam where I'm only working on this thing right here. Project X for this X system for these. And they, they might have two or three but typically they're focused on one thing. So they're working directly with a specific engineering or technical team, but they're doing that one thing. Pro a program manager usually do. I work with both of those. And uh, my insight is, is we need the, <sighs> they are needed very much. Uh, project and program managers are, are, are it, it, there's a difference between, the difference between having them and not having them is a successful, either you're going to be successful or not going to be successful based off of having good project managers and program managers. Because you need leadership to guide you in the right direction. A lot of times IT, IT and cybersecurity people are flying blind because we don't know. We're just doing our piece, right? We, we're very deep on one this one thing. We don't know the big picture, the fiduciary, the government 
or whatever organizations what's going on. So those guys are our eyes and ears saying, hey, guys, we need to go this way. Hey, upper leadership is is saying, hey, we need to focus on these. It really helps to prioritize what we need to do, especially from a GRC's perspective, because I'll have like literally 100,000 things, like 100,000 vulnerabilities or whatever, right? And the tool tells me what vulnerable, like severities and all that kind of stuff. But the severity of those depends on whether it's exposed to the internet or if it's if it's an outdated end of life system that's not going to be any support anymore or how long it's been there. There's so many other factors, but a, one of the biggest factors is if the government, in my case, is saying, we want to fix this thing yesterday. And that's going to, for me, put that on a different pedestal uh, and help me to guide me in the right direction of where I need to put most of my focus. And Larry, thank you for that, that 10 bucks. So that's, it's super important to have a project manager and a pro program manager on my team. And to back me up, here's another big one. As a cybersecurity guy, as a as a GRC person, a lot of times these different rules or regulations will come from on high and say, yeah, barely nobody will use SSL version three anymore, period at all right and then i gotta go talk to the it guys and say hey guys call a meeting together all the big players and say okay we can't have ssl version three on our environment anymore and they're gonna be like what the? and they'll be like do you realize we have that everywhere do you know we have that everywhere and it helps me if the program manager is saying hey guys like this is not from coming from us is coming from this this executive order from the president of the United States is saying this is what we have to do. Like we're all on the same team. I got my pro project manager, my program manager, me, managers, every everybody's in on this. We're just inviting you into the party. And it's not just me saying you guys will have this. A lot of cybersecurity guys, <laughs> especially GRC guys, they come in as enforcers and they they won't even say the context of why this is why people hate cybersecurity because there's these these guys are just i don't know like they're power hungry it reminds me when i was a police officer i was in the military i was a i was an mp and it, it was called security forces when i was in and uh let me tell you something not everybody can be police officers and that's why you have all these people shooting people in the back I mean, I don't even like, what the hell? They'll shoot a dude in the back that's running away because he has weed on him or something. It's like, why are you shooting him in the back? That doesn't make any sense. So the reason why is because some people can't handle power, man. As soon as they get a gun and authority, they get that badge on them. They can't even lose their minds. They, they, some people should not have power. And it's the same with cybersecurity. Cybersecurity, you're given a certain level of responsibility and a certain level of gravitas comes with that comes with that title here what you say sometimes is law and you need to be mindful of that um but some people they're they come in they get that title as a cybersecurity person they're like you will do this to the it people it's like no 
we have to get together and make and see how we can do this because we might not be able to remove SSL version three within a six month period like they want to. It might not be possible for us to do that. And as a technical person coming from that side of the house, I understand that. And so having that program manager to help to kind of solidify the narrative or what we, the direction we're all trying to go in is huge. It's huge, man. So that's my take. Project manager, especially if you have a bigger, they are so important for large projects. You cannot have a large, I've been on large projects that did not have a program manager or a project manager, or at least one that wasn't active. They were one in name only. They wouldn't be at meetings. They didn't know what was going on. I don't know what the mm -hmm. hell they were doing, but they weren't helping us. They weren't in meetings. They weren't feeling the fire. None, none of that. You know, a good pro project managers, program managers, they run interference for you. They're in on it. They know what's going on and they're in on the, they know what's happening. They know what levels of priority we need to do. And they're, and they'll listen to you and be like, okay, listen, I understand that the government wants to do this, but look, this is a real vulnerability. If we don't fix this shit right now, we can get hacked tomorrow. Like this, and so they'll help you with priority and they'll be like, okay, okay, I'm gonna go push this forward and say, we really need to get this done. So they're on your team. So project managers are invaluable, man, especially for larger. Uh, that's a great question, by the way. Thank you for that one. That was great. And thank you for that 10 bucks. I appreciate that. Every, every bit helps. Um, let me see. Got a couple. I'll answer a couple other questions here. Do you recommend Security Plus or CAP for junior ISSEs uh, working with risk management framework? Hmm. ISSE. Junior ISSEs. Um, if you're in the government and you're doing risk management framework, um, okay. All right, let me let me enlighten you. So if you're if you're worried about your like overall career wise, I'm gonna go with Security Plus. It's more marketable. If you leave this position, it's just more marketable. People don't even know what the cap is. In fact, it's not even called the cap. I don't know if you knew this, but it's no longer called the cap. It's called the the it's called the ISC two CGRC. I have both of these. I have a Security Plus. I mean, it's expired. It's <laughs> I have the original one that doesn't expire, and I have the, the new one that does. Um, I have both, and that one was way more marketable than the cap. Now, like they're coming around with it. IC2 is really good about marketing their stuff. Um, they already it's already shopped with the government and everything. People know what it is more now. I think they it was a marketing thing that they changed the name from cap to CGRC. I think it was a great move because now people are gonna know what it is just by the name of it. Is GRC certification, but it's specifically for the government. It's not, I don't know if they ever expand on it. So, okay. Career-wise, Security Plus. It's just more marketable. Right now, it's more marketable. Um, for your job, if you're working for the federal government, you're, you're, you're working with ISOs all the time. You're working with upper-level management. You guys are securing the system. Then hands down. For your job, it's going to be the CGRC, hands down, because it's going to it's going to force you to know all the stuff and the terminology and and 
kind of get your mind in that in that hemisphere risk management framework. The CGRC, a also known as CAP, formerly known as CAP, it focuses 100 percent on NIST 800. NIST 837 to be precise. I mean, I'm almost spoiling the whole test for you because it's NIST 837, it's FIPS 200, and it's FIPS 199 sprinkled in with some FIPS uh, 800-660 volume two. Uh, you read those, you understand them, break them down. That's most of the test right there. That's most of the test right there. <laughs> That's, those are your sources, right? There. There's a couple official guides that are still called the CAP, um, and they'll guide you in the right direction. Some of the language is kind of screwy, and it's, it's very academic, but it, it'll force you to read those those books. And once you read those books, man, that's everything you need to know right there. So um, let me see. Larry said, um, I work with people in the Fed that act the same way, power hungry. Oh my gosh, man, these people. I can make a whole <laughs> channel about this kind of stuff. And I work with lots of project managers of projects and never had an issue. I communicate with my team and I do my best to get what they need to get the project done. That's how you do it right there, my man right there. This is a very mature uh, information system security officer right here. This is a very mature uh, GRC person. Um, these kind of people you want to listen to because they not only have the the um, technical background to understand what's going on, but they have the emotional intelligence that it takes to guide a team in the right direction to limit the amount of exposure that your vulnerabilities, which everybody has, um, limit the amount of exposure there and and ultimately improve the cybersecurity uh, risk. Uh, and that is what this whole thing is about. It's about controlling the level of risk to our systems so that we don't get hacked. And if you do get hacked, you already know how to respond to it. So the impact is less. So this man right here is is the kind of person you want, you want on your team, especially for very important large systems. Somebody said on TikTok, I have a BS in cybersecurity and doing uh, and going for a master's degree in information system management. I think that's what that is. Uh, and I have a network plus in security. That's awesome. Great. That's a great. Only thing I'll say is start now. Um, start now on getting your experience. If you don't not already get experience, how you might add if you're in school i would try to get a working student program most schools have them try to get in even if it's help desk don't 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 think that's beneath you get hands on um, because that experience is what it's separates the men from the boys when you get out in this field that experience separates the men from the boys and help desk is very very good because help desk gives you hands on and lets you I'm doing help. Yeah. Tier one help desk right now. That's you are on the right path, Sean. He says, I'm motivated. I'm money motivated. What roles are in demand? What recommendations do you have uh, for an area of focus? Okay. I got a couple for you. Got a couple for you and you choose which one you want, but number one of them in no particular order will be cloud. 
Um, right now, cloud, right now in this market, cloud is super hot. Um, I would, I would highly suggest you learn AWS cloud, the entry level one, even the reason why I say that is a, last year, uh, when I got this current job I'm at, I went through like three or four different interviews. And out of those, let's say four interviews I had, might've been five, that's why I say four, I don't remember, <laughs> so it was a lot. So let's say it was four interviews, right? Out of four interviews, three of them asked me about cloud, what my experience was, and what how much I knew about it. Cloud, so that's one. The other one, um, money motivated that's going to pay is to specialize, specialize in GRC uh, type stuff. Um, what I mean by that is read up on, there's a couple things, um, read up on NIST 837 risk management framework. That's for the federal government. Read up on uh, PCI compliance. That's for retail. Uh, another one would be 27 ISO 27001, ISO 27002. Read up on those. Try to sneak those into your resume as much as possible. There's other ones like COBIT. There's another one called uh, Sarbanes-Oxley. There's HIPAA. That's specifically for the healthcare industry. Learn as much as you can about those and sneak them onto your resume. I'm not telling you to lie on your resume, but even if you like get very familiar with it, you can mention it that you you're familiar with it and you might even be doing some of the stuff that we do in this 800 by the way. If you read up on it, you'll be like, "Oh, okay. I've I've enabled uh I've done AU controls before. That's that's um implementing audit logs. That's reviewing audit logs. I've done that before." You can sneak that into your resume, right? Like this is a little trick people don't really talk about, but you're doing a lot of stuff that's in those uh, compliance things. So GRC cloud right now very hot. And the great thing about GRC is that it's evergreen. That's why I'm mentioning it. Evergreen meaning uh, you know how like seasons change, right? You've got evergreen trees and you've got deciduous trees. Like deciduous trees, or I don't know if I'm saying that right, but trees that the every winter summer spring fall the leaves are changing colors and they fall off and then they bloom again regular technical it is like that it's just constantly changing evolving things are now you got they're talking about ai and they're talking about all these things are constantly integrated into technology clouds the same way clouds now it's starting to integrate a lot of ai you got to learn that so as it changes you're gonna have to learn all those new things evergreen trees they're just green year round they don't like it'd be winter snow gets on the leaves falls off summer still green like it's just green year round it's evergreen that's what i mean like you don't have to you're not learning all this new stuff it changes from time to time maybe every three four five years you know where like where it went from one revision to another revision but for the most part it pays well and you I'm not having to scramble to learn some new stuff. I do it anyway because I'm. It's fun to me. The technical stuff is fun, but I don't have to do it uh, as much as the guys who are on uh, 
Sidewinder firewall, which evolved to the Cisco firewall that now is ASA firewall. Now is something else. Like it changes. If a company buys that company, it changes. If they want to change the interface because they can no longer use Java, they have to change. It's just constantly changing. So those are the two I would recommend. Um, is there anything else? Specialized. That probably the main, the name of the game is specialization. Um, some an old head told me when I first got in, he said, you got to specialize in one thing, like whatever it is, just choose one thing and just get really good at that one thing. And then you'll be the person they call on for that one thing. And that's how the, the real dollars are made from specialized people. Uh, generalists kind of stay, you know, on the ground floor, but the people who rise up are the people who specialize. It can be in databases, it can be in cloud, it can be in GRC, but just choose one path, specialize on it. I'm not saying don't know your, you know, your your shit, but take one thing and get really good at that one thing. All right, guys, I think that's it. Like it's real late here. <laughs> I shouldn't technically I shouldn't be even doing this, but uh I'll try to do more of these. Um, these are kind of fun for me to do. I, I kind of enjoy them. But um, thank you so much, Larry. Thanks for those great questions and comments and everything. I appreciate everybody who follows me. Um, go check out my book. Uh, we've got tons of books out there on Amazon. Check out the site, uh, convocourses.net, convocourses.com. Join the community. At some point in the future, <laughs> I'd like to be way more active than I have been. But right now, I'm, I've just been working my ass off. But thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. Um, I'll be on here again real soon. All right, there we go. Peace.